0: Welcome to another episode of Getting to Know, and we're getting to know our coaches here at Maribyrnong Sports Academy through a series of podcasts where we have a chat to them individually, and today we're talking to our head tennis coach, and that is Mark Sefullis. G'day Mark, how are you?
1: I'm really well, Shebex, thanks for having me on.
0: Uh, Thank you for coming on board, mate. Uh, How long have you been at Maribyrnong for now?
1: Well, I'm pretty sure it's the 16th year that the program's been running, and ever since day one I've been involved in this program, so... It's been a long time, and I feel like part of the furniture now. But um, yeah, it's been an exciting journey.
0: You are a part of the furniture.
1: <laughs> I am absolutely.
0: Uh, tell us about your background. And first of all, let's go into your playing background. What did you play? Sport was was it tennis?
1: Played tennis and um, AFL, and um, right the way through. I guess my journey as a as an athlete, um, I kind of didn't really know where I sat, and you know, I was pretty decent at. at Um, both those sports and was going reasonably well and sort of sitting around the quarter cannons which was great in the footy and um, probably up in the top 20 or so in the country in in terms of my age group in tennis but um, never really excelled I wasn't a a super player in either one but um, got to the point of sort of 18 where or 17 where I had to choose out of both sports because of the time constraints of both of them and ended up going down the path of tennis and uh, finished my year 12 and decided that uh, I wanted to to be a tennis player, which at that time I probably had no um, no guidance in the right direction where I felt like I could play pro, but I wasn't even close to being ready to do that and um, ended up uh, playing for a few years, traveling a little bit and um, got to the point where I was about nearly 20 years of age, had a few injuries and had no money left and thought, you know what? I don't think playing uh, professional tennis is probably where I'm going to continue and um, to play the game you need a lot of money to invest in yourself and I didn't quite have that and ended up from there uh, turning to coaching which I had done part time for since I was 14 so it's been a long journey in the coaching field as well as as the playing and but um, yeah I obviously enjoyed playing playing both footy and tennis I thought it was a, a good grounding for skills in both you know individual and, and uh, team sports so it was good.
0: So take us through that transition from player to coach for you then.
1: That was probably the hardest um, 12 to 18 months I felt in my journey in the game. I I felt like I just didn't know what I wanted, where I was. Um, I kind of felt like a failure, and which is kind of the thing that I speak to our kids about all the time. Um, I think your biggest failures are your biggest teachers in life. And and I felt like at that time, I just didn't know uh, where I was going, what I wanted to do. I still thought I was an athlete, but I I wasn't and I was coaching. yeah, so it was a really strange time in my life, but I found that um, what it, I felt that my calling in in life was to to help others rather than myself. I felt like I had more uh, more want to give others everything than give myself everything. And that kind of really ticked the box. I think when I was a bit more mature at 21, 22, I sort of thought to myself, you know what? I think playing days are now over. It's kind of it took me a year and a half or so to, to realize that. And uh, I think I need to put all my eggs into my coaching basket and, and help others to, to not make the same mistakes I did, you know, moving through as a junior athlete um, and, the, and the steps that I took in my journey. And I felt like those lessons taught me a lot, and those failures actually taught me a lot about myself, and um, and probably got me to to really be motivated to to not make those same mistakes again.
0: Yeah, were you a footballer as a kid? Because you're also a football coach.
1: Yeah, I, I just played up until um, I got the letter to play tag cup for Calder and. Um, and at that time I had to make a decision because that was going to be three or four days a week and, uh, and tennis was sort of five or six days a week so dad said to me you're going to have to make a decision and I'll never forget it because I sat in their bedroom with the old uh, phone connected to the wall those days with a cord yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. back in those days and he said you're going to have to call either your tennis coach or your footy coach uh, and you've, you've got a decision to make and it has to be now and i never forget picking up the phone and I had the, the cannons letter in front of me and I had my coach's number in front of me and I rang the AFL coach at the Calder Cannons and said I'm not coming thanks for the invite I really appreciate it but I'm not um going to pursue footy anymore and that was probably the hardest decision I made from a a playing career um but yeah ended up which is funny I I, the reason I chose tennis and it's kind of silly because I always advise our kids not to have that plan B too far in their head but I felt that a plan B for me was to make money from coaching in tennis and I felt like that in tennis, you can have um, a job anywhere coaching, whereas AFL, there was only 18 clubs, and I was never ever going to have the opportunity to coach at AFL level. Fast forward a few years, and I ended up at the Richmond Footy Club in 2007. So, mm-hmm. only uh, nine or, or so years um, after that that period, and ended up, you know, now been at the Richmond Football Club for 16 years. So, it's been a, a good journey being there as well.
0: So, let's have a look at the footy coaching first, because we'll talk a fair bit about the tennis as well. Were you already coaching a team before you went to Richmond or did you just... That's a good through, question. Was <laughs> it through your tennis coaching that you got the job?
1: Yeah, so basically um, I went through all my qualifications in, in tennis. I did my level one and level two straight away and then a few years later I was fortunate enough to be able to apply for my level three, which is the top of the, the tree in terms of qualification in tennis and um, they said, okay, to finish off your, your course and to get the certificate you need to spend 10 hours at an elite sporting club other than tennis. So I literally went and emailed every sporting or every AFL club. Uh, two got back to me. One was uh, North Melbourne. One was Essendon. Essendon said, no. North Melbourne said, um, yeah, come on down and come and see me. It was Donald McDonald at the time. Yep. Had a chat to him. Basically, he said, look, oh, you know, come and see me again in a week's time. We're a bit busy, whatever else. So I said, okay, cool. And Richmond never got back to me. Anyway, I was in the city one day at Melbourne Park and I thought, oh, Richmond's training. I might just go and knock on the door and, uh, and see the person I emailed and whether or not he got my email. So it was actually Choco Royal at the time, Brian Royal yeah. was there and they finished training and I literally tapped him on the shoulder as, um, as he walked down the race. I said, oh, Choco, my name's Mark. I gave you a, an email around doing some work experience 10, 10 hours for my, he said, oh, yep. Yeah, I was gonna get back to you today. I said, well, I'm here now. So is there anything that you got for me? And literally from that day onwards, I did my 10 hours with them. And at that time, Craig McRae, who's now coach of Collingwood was yeah. the development coach and I worked under him for that that 10 hours, and then he saw basically something in me, and uh, the day I walked in. That's pretty
0: impressive, because 10 hours isn't much. It isn't much. To be able to to shine on someone.
1: No, it isn't, and uh, he ended up um, calling me back the next day saying, uh, would you like to be part of our development team, and I was pretty, um, yeah, pretty tough with that, to be honest, and ended up spending uh, the next sort of, well, over the last 16 years in different roles through development, and uh now being a line coach at the VFL level coaching the midfields this year which is which is great um but it's been a great journey to be involved in two sports at a pretty high level and um the the learnings I've got from that is just invaluable
0: yeah exactly so tennis coaching that's taken you far and wide you've had some fantastic names who have worked under you take us through all that
1: yeah it's uh it's been a long journey um and and probably never all smooth sailing those chabecs <laughs> i think it you learn a lot from every player. I said in a conference I did the other day to a group of coaches, I said, you'll learn more from the players you coach than from any course or anything that you do. Um, the players that you coach always teach you lessons that are probably more valuable than anything else. So, you know, you make mistakes with players, uh, you have successes, and you almost find out what the recipe for success is. And I felt like the players I've been fortunate enough to even just stand next to, let alone work with, and, and say that I've coached them is just incredible um you know the Bryan brothers were world number one for x amount of years 10 years or so they've won 17 slams and um you know incredible athletes Mm. and and people in the the tennis world and to work with them just to to be around them through grand slam glory and uh to, to have the involvement with them has been something that i could never have imagined when i first started coaching and to have those guys, I could call friends and give them a text and say hi and they give me a message and so forth. It's kind of like you pinch yourself and think, hang on yeah, a sec, they're sure. Probably the best ever players to play in, in the doubles field in, in the game. So it's pretty cool and had some time with Cara Black, who's another world number one. Um, spent some time with her and a guy called Victor Hinescu, who was top 30 in the world. Spent some, some valuable time with him and, and probably most prominent, the Roddy Nova sisters I spent between eight and nine years with you know each one of those uh, working with them and travelling and um, and they've been prominent Uh, Anastasia they're both Olympians both Commonwealth Games players Anastasia won a gold in both Commonwealth singles and doubles when I was working with her and she ended the year at world number eight in doubles and it was pretty cool to work with just work with these players who you know as I said like I, I would never have taught them anywhere near as much as they've taught me and you know for me it's it's one of those things you look back on and think if I hadn't have had those experiences in life, where would I have been right now? And I felt like the, the, the message I give to young coaches and, uh, as well as our athletes is build your resume, build your experience portfolio. Because at the end of the day, you can have qualifications, but it's the experiences that have taught me most in, in my life. And these players have taught me more than anything.
0: And I, I know you pretty well, and you talk about building, and one thing that you love to build is your knowledge base. Yeah. You are just an absolute stickler for getting out there, doing courses, doing all that sort of stuff, and hence the reason why you're at the position you're in, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, look, I feel like you know we've always got something to learn. Um, if you stop learning, obviously you, you're finished at the end of the day, and this game, every game, every part of life continues to go forward, and if we stay stagnant, we just get caught behind, so... I think the most important thing for me is to continue to develop myself and and open up new avenues to, to get better. And, um, you know, I always say that to everyone that I coach, I I don't know everything, but if I don't know it, I'll find the answer for you pretty quickly. Um, and I'll research it and, and do my work in that and turn up to presentations and workshops. And I think if you don't do that as a coach, I think you just, yeah, you, you stop and you stagnate. And, and, um, you know, for me, I need to be up with abreast with all the latest information to be able to pass on to my athletes and and give them the best chance as I didn't have I felt the best chance of success when I was a player and to have all this information ready to us there's no reason why I shouldn't research it and give it to them so um you know sometimes they're not ready to absorb it um but I think at the same time you've still got to you've got a due diligence as a coach to be able to find out that information and give it to them
0: not only do you coach athletes, but you're a coach's coach as well. You, you get out there and you talk to, to young coaches and, and build, help them build their careers. That must be exciting also.
1: Yeah, it's actually one of my passions. I spent 15 years with Tennis Australia um, in their coach education department as their lead facilitator. So it's been really exciting to do that. And um, I'm, yeah, it's still going around again this year, another, another year around. And yeah, I think it's awesome. They've also got me doing presentations and workshops all over the country and Uh, I I really enjoy that hence the reason I also started a website um, The Tennis Menu which has been six years now in the making and it's an online uh, coach education platform and just something that I was really passionate about Mm. Um, it's cost me an arm and a leg but I really love it it's something that I feel like if we've got knowledge as coaches and you know I think this academy's blessed with the knowledge we have I feel like we can all probably educate others as well uh, as opposed to just sticking with our information within the academy and we've got a great um, knowledge base here and that's kind of what I wanted to do was pass on my experiences to others and, you know, one one day when I'm no longer coaching, all that information hopefully doesn't become void. I want others to have access to it and the journey that I've been on and the failures I've had along the way that led me to successes but also, you know, I think just the journey that you go on as a coach is great to, to be able to pass on to others.
0: And I like that you talk about that because the next thing I was going to have a chat to you about was you also had a bit of a health scare a, a little while yeah. back. What What did you take from that in regards to resilience in yourself and the like that you've taken into your coaching?
1: Yeah, it's a, I think you, you when you're at your lowest point, you probably learn your most. And when you sit in a, in a room um, where you probably, I, I'm sitting in a sterile hospital room and you sort of think to yourself, what, where am I at currently? What am I doing? What am I prioritizing in life? You kind of understand a little bit more about yourself in that, okay, well, adversity's hit. Um, I need to reassess and realign my goals and and who I am and um, I think at the time I was sort of you know you're driven by different things and motivated by different things in life and I felt like I was driven um, still driven for success in myself but then I thought um, it's not about success and success is defined differently for so many people but I realigned my values to the family side of it before anything else which I always thought I did but I really didn't because I wasn't taking care of my own health and then I felt like if my family's my goal and that's my new my new stepping stone I need to be healthy again because if I'm not healthy I can't look after my kids and my family so that kind of became a little bit of a realization and then also when I, I got sick I found that I was really easily replaceable by everyone apart from my family
0: nothing worse than that is it
1: so i was really replaceable everywhere across the board from coach education to footy to tennis everyone just stepped into my role and 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 did that and i thought you know what i I put so much time and effort into others how about i put some time and effort into myself as a Mm. you know from a health perspective first and um and and secondly just from my priorities i thought i felt like i had to realign that and you know, our kids have to go through that all the time. And I think until you go through the, the adversity, it's really hard to understand how to prioritize because you just only know one way. So hence the reason I'll go back to those failures. I think I won't say what I went through last year in terms of my health was a failure. It was more of a, a, a realization of, hang on a second, stop and reevaluate. Um, things aren't going well right now. So what do we need to do? Um, so yeah, it was, a, it was a really challenging time, but also something that probably... I. Not, and say I needed to go through it, but I think I did have to go through it because I was yeah, in the wrong place from a values and life perspective and priorities. So it's um, maybe realigned realign things for sure.
0: So from a growth perspective, it was probably one of your, your biggest periods in that regard? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, yeah, I think you grow through so many different situations, but um, what I've been through and continue to go through now from a health perspective is you, know, you always got to put yourself at number one in terms of your health. Um, You know, we always say that and we always, you know, if you haven't been through something, you kind of go, oh, yeah, it's all good, Uh, I'll be fine. Um, Nothing's happened to me now, it won't happen to me ever, but yeah, you put yourself first all the time and make sure that you're okay because if you're not okay, then the impact you have on others isn't to the level you want it to be at.
0: Each week, each fortnight, I should say, we uh, throw out a series of questions to our coaches, which are the same questions, and we like to get their different responses so we can build up that knowledge base of what everyone thinks about different things. And the first question I'll throw to you is the question of what drives you to get up every morning, and i see you here most mornings, (laughs) rain, hail, or shine. You're here. What drives you to be here and be on the kids' journeys?
1: Um, I think it's changed over time. You sort of, first first and foremost, when I first took on the role, I think I was 24 at the time. And it was, okay, well, this is a, a brand new thing that I could probably make something pretty cool. And the ego took over a little bit and it was, okay, Yeah, um, I'm going to show everyone that I can do this. I'm 24, but I've got, you know, I, I can do it and X, Y, and Z. Uh, and then it sort of changes a little bit and all of a sudden it becomes, uh, when you've done it for a long period of time, it becomes a job. Um, so you sort of turn up because you're motivated yep. and driven for you for, to put food on the table. Uh, But then it sort of, it fluctuates in and out and it becomes a little bit now, I think, I'm a role model for not only our our players in in the academy, uh, but also our young coaches that are coming through. And I feel like when you're in a position of, uh, and I hate having a title to my name, but head coach, um, you feel like you've got a responsibility to role model the behaviors that you expect of both your athletes and your assistants around you. And then, you know, I don't think any job... I always say that every job has an expiry date and this there's going to be a point in time where i'm no longer here um whether it be through a decision i change path or whether it be through i have lose my job for whatever yeah. reason um there's going to be an expiry date and and i want to be able to leave a legacy not only from what we've achieved in the school since i've been here but also what behaviors and habits i've expected and, and the standards i've created for both the players and and the staff around and um, I feel like I need to role model those behaviors every day. And, you know, I turn up every morning. Um, I'm here five days a week for the school. And then I coach Saturday mornings as well. But 6 a.m. is when I turn up every morning. Um, I open the gates for everyone. Um, I get in here and everything's set up. Music's on, lights are on, balls are out. And if I don't have that standard of behavior, I can't expect my athletes to walk walk that way. So, you know, I want to leave the footprints for success And in, in that, you know, you've got to be, early not on time but early i feel like if you're on time you're late so be there prepared to to perform um it's not just a training session but it's a performance that you want to have and as a coach we're in front of a a group of students and we need to perform so if i'm not awake if i'm tired if i'm unorganized um i set the the boundaries and the behaviors that i'm going to give to my athletes and they're going to have the same thing so if i want to critique any part of their um, preparation they're going to say well you do that as well so I need to make sure that I'm doing the right thing um, and that they can't see anything else but the right behaviour so yeah kind of uh, to go back to the motivation I think it always changes and fluctuates in in different ways but um, I'm actually motivated to see what um, each of these kids is able to achieve and trying to get the best out of them and give them the best journey that they can have in in this program and I mentioned it this morning to our group of kids I actually said to them that this is not a uh, an um a right to be here it's actually a privilege whether you're a staff Perfect. member or a coach um it's a, it's a privilege to to pull on the the marble uniform the pride and performance badge and you know have pride in yourself as well as in your performance and you know don't just walk in this building and think that everybody gets an opportunity because we've knocked back probably 4 500 kids in this tennis program alone and 150 have got in so you're a part of a minority not a majority yeah so that's kind of the message I've been giving our players and I feel like my motivation is that I'm just grateful for the the job that I've had for so long and, and the ability to be here um, for as long as I have. What have you
0: experienced as the most undervalued aspect of an athlete performance?
1: Um, I don't think it's undervalued, but I feel like um, being a competitor is probably the most important part of an athlete. Yeah, And I feel like, and when we say a competitor, it's just getting the best out of yourself, whether that be in the, in the classroom, on the court, um, in life. I feel like one of the things I always say to our players, our staff um, that work within our program is that not everybody is going to be a successful athlete. Not everybody is gonna make it to the pinnacle of our game. But I want you to leave here with the standards of behavior, the values in you, that are gonna set you up for your life moving forward. Um, And I feel like being a competitor makes you get the best out of yourself. And when you leave this program from an education perspective and school perspective, you've left no stone unturned in everything that you could have achieved here. So you've written your pathway and your journey through a college system, through work, through a professional playing career, through coaching career, whatever you wanna choose you know that you you have got the behavior of, I'm gonna get the best out of myself no matter where I go. And if you think of any employer that has uh, employed someone, you wanna see them giving their 100% all. And if we can get our kids giving their 100% all every day and it becomes yeah. their habit when they leave here, they're gonna be set up for life. So that's kind of what I, I've left with.
0: And and as a coach, what do you believe is the most valuable coachable attribute?
1: Most coachable attribute. Um, I guess it, it's, when someone is has coachability. And coachability is a word that um, I know everyone says, oh, we want a coachable athlete. But coachable athlete is someone that if you ask them to do something, you don't have to ask them ever again. And when we go back to, we spoke about the players that I've worked with in the past, um, they've all got flaws in their games. They've all got things that they don't do well. But the biggest thing that I find is that they're, they're seeking information. They want to be better. They want to know that um, you're a resource for them and they'll take everything that you have. And a coachable athlete is that person that knocks, taps you on the shoulder at the end of a session and says, hey Mark, what do you think I can do to et cetera? Um, or goes to the HPP guys in our school and says, you know, I'm struggling in this area of my physicality on court," yeah. Or knocks on our sports psych door and says, I'm really struggling in this area. And that to me is, you know, being hungry to improve. You know, coachable athletes are hungry to improve. And, and they challenge you at times. And I, and I really love when a player challenges me and says, yeah, but what about? Because that means that they really want to get better and they want to know that the information you're giving them is right and it's going to make them a better athlete. Yeah. Um, and that just ties in with that competitive side as well.
0: To what extent can the student, athletes, parents or guardian influence their journey, do you believe?
1: Oh, hugely. Absolutely massively. Um, in different ways, I, I feel. And it's probably... <coughs> a conversation for another time. But uh, I feel like... Maybe another podcast. (laughs) Maybe another podcast. But parents are are the biggest influence on any child's life. And having three kids of my own, you sort of realise that the environment you create at home creates the behaviours that they're going to have in school and on, on the sporting arena. Um, And the way that you either praise them or punish them um, is important as well. So there's a a lot to that kind of uh, information. It's probably hard to really dive into. But, you know, the the home environment sets up what a person is like. So if you're feeling like uh, your child is on the court and struggling in terms of a resilience um, component of their game, do you feel like you're allowing them to go through adversity or are you stopping adversity before it comes to them mm-hmm. you know and i feel like i've done that to my kids at times where oh don't jump off the couch or don't do this or don't do that and the word don't always to stop them from hurting themselves or going through some sort of adversity yeah whereas i feel like that to me makes them a stronger person um yes we don't want them to get hurt absolutely but at the same time it has an influence on the way they, they, pers- from they learn from their mistakes correct so yeah. Um, There is huge amounts to to dive into with that, but I think parents are the most important aspect of any child's life.
0: Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, There's only so many spots in professional sport. Tennis Mm. is definitely a sport where that's limited as well. How important is it that you relate to the student throughout their journey just exactly where they're at?
1: Yeah, I think it's important um, without squashing their goals as well. I think it's a really important part of... You know, I never want to tell a student athlete that's in this program that you can't do something. You know, I I will never put a ceiling on a kid um, at all. Uh, You've got to be realistic with them and you've got to tell them the reality of of where they're at. But I feel like putting a ceiling on them only uh tells them they can't do something and then if you don't believe in them you're the person they look up to the most as their role model as a coach and i feel like i don't ever want to be that person that says hey you know you're not quite at the level you know have you considered something else so for me i'm um so i think it's so important that i allow and i'll give you a little analogy to train fleas you put them in a jar you put the lid on and fleas are a jumping insect And they continue to jump no matter what, no matter where they are in their environment. But once you put the lid on, they jump to the height of the lid. After you take it off after one day, even though you've taken the lid off, they continue to jump at the height of the lid because that's the behavior that you've set and the standard that you've set. Now, for me, if I continue to put the lid on our athletes, they continue to jump at that level. So if we take the lid off, and that's kind of what I've always said to them is, yes, the reality is that the game's hard, but that doesn't mean you can't make it if you don't put your mind to it and really put put everything that you can into it and you give 110% everything you do. So it is a challenge. Yes, we need to to benchmark and, and talk to them about where they're currently sitting and what they currently need to do, but I've never probably put a ceiling on any of our of our kids. And um, it's just kind of a, a philosophy I've always had is, you know, people put a, a ceiling on me at times and, and I felt like it squashed my confidence and the ability to put in more because I felt like, well, I'm training, but they've said that I'm not quite there. So. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's uh, a big part of our philosophy is not allow a kids to think that they've got a ceiling on their on their career.
0: No, I haven't done this in the, in our first two episodes, but I'm going to do it here. I'm going to throw in an extra question, which I haven't asked the others. So this is just one specifically for you. But if there was a 17 year old Marcus Fulis out there now, who had a letter from the call to cannons, mm. or <laughs> was also a very good tennis player. Which way would you suggest if he came to you for advice? That's,
1: that's a good question. Um, looking back on it now, I've always said to myself that I probably should have gone down the path of playing footy. Um, whether it would have been the right call or wrong call, hindsight's a, a wonderful thing. But well, um, and,
0: and let's look at it constructively. Mm-hmm. There's 800 players out there earning a minimum of $70,000. Mm-hmm. Is there 800
1: tennis players out there earning $70,000 uh, a year? No, so basically th- that's the, the challenge. I've always had this conversation. So through my journey, I coached Arena Rodianova and Tyrone Vickery at Richmond Footy Club. Yeah. They've ended up getting married through coming to my wife's 30th and me setting it up, which was pretty cool. But we always have this real argument around, is footy easier or <laughs> is tennis easier? And we talk about the fact that AFL, you get paid to train, you get paid to have holidays, you get yeah. paid for that. and tennis, you don't, you pay your own way. Um, the financial benefits could be huge in tennis but they may not be Um, very small percentage
0: small percentage very small percentage
1: and in AFL the average age or average lifespan of an AFL player I think is three and a half years correct so do you make the big dollars for three and a half years and then you're done or you've got a possibility of of, uh, you know writing your own ticket in tennis. Because in tennis, you don't need to be selected. You just need to be good enough. In footy, yeah. you need to be selected and, yes, and talent drip, identified. Drip. So I think there's two different yeah. ways to look at it. But um, I've never come to an answer, Shabek, so I couldn't tell you where it sits. But um, I think a uh, 17-year-old, Mark, probably going back, I have said, hey, have a crack at some footy. You're probably tracking a little better than your tennis. So have a crack at it.
0: Yeah, fair enough too. <laughs> the best piece of advice you can give any MSA athlete listening out there right now?
1: Uh that's a, that's a good question. I think the, the biggest thing is uh, be grateful for the opportunity. Um, don't waste a moment because the moment goes past pretty quickly. Um, value everything that you have within the program because it gets taken away very quick once you finish school. This is only six years of your life that are probably going to be the best years of your life that you're never going to go back to.
0: And you've got to do it somewhere.
1: And you've got to do it somewhere and you've got a, a place that everybody's here to support you. Yeah. Um, and I think just be grateful that your parents have given you the opportunity to be here because at the end of the day, um, they could have chosen any school for you and you could have chosen any other school. But um, what you get when you walk into this program, it's a privilege, not a right. And I'll go back to that, as I said at the start and be you know, it's a privilege to be here and make the most of your opportunities, gain as many experiences as you can. Um, And tap a lot of people on the shoulder and and be a real coachable athlete who wants to have a thirst for knowledge and a hunger to improve. Um, And if you continue to be that, you'll grow as an amazing individual. Live our values. Don't just say our values. Live our values on a daily basis. And if we have uh, 550 MSA athletes living our values, we're going to have a pretty cool school to be at.
0: Yeah, you're spot on. Mark's a thank you for your time. Very much appreciate it. Uh, we'll catch up again soon, I'm sure. Thanks for having me, mate. And thank you for joining us right here on Getting to Know Our Coaches. Mark's a foolish this time around. We'll have another one for you in a fortnight's time.